Good Monday morning. How are you today? It's your favorite practical idealist, Ellie Krug, here on AM 950 with Ellie 2.0 Radio, where I talk about how it is that individual humans work to make the world a better place, make a difference in the world. Yes, it is your half hour of hopeless idealism, I would like to say. Um, it is. And, and you know that this show is uh, divided into two slots, an A slot and a B slot. My A slot, I always talk about somebody who has or is an idealist, and then the B slot, I talk about my work. Um, but today in my A slot, I'm going to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, which is adoption. Not often uh, can one attest to directly benefiting from the work of an idealist. But I, along with thousands of other international adoptive parents, can say just that. That I, I, can, sit to, I can sit here right now looking into my mic and my time clock, and I can tell you I benefited directly from the work of an idealist. I mean, we're, it's, it's a straight line. Connect A to dot. Those who have read my book, um, Getting to Well in a Memoir about Love, Honesty, and Gender Change, and that book is available on Amazon, Kindle, Nook, or other electronic media. I'm sorry, I just had to put that in there. Those who have read my book know that I'm an adoptive parent to two girls, Kate, who is 28, and Meredith, who is 26. I'm using their real names on this show. Um, they have essentially come out as my daughters, and um, in my book I use pseudonyms, but I'm using their real names. Both of my daughters were born in Korea and came to us, um, and us, when I say us, at that time in the early 90s when they came to us, I was presenting as a man living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, married to my high school sweetheart, uh, Lydia. Um, and in the 19, early 1990s, um, Korea was not yet the super economy that it is today. And the country was allowing many of its children to be adopted because in Korea there were great um, shame about uh, children being abandoned, particularly children with um, special needs. Our adoptions occurred through the Holt International Agency, founded by Harry and Bertha Holt. Two idealists who really made a difference in the world. The Holtz, the story with the Holtz began in 1956 when they saw a missionary film of biracial children fathered by American service members in Korea. Remember, the Korean War had just relatively ended. And those ch children were being abandoned in Korea because Korean culture was unaccepting of children who were, who were um, biracial. And at first, the Holtz sent uh, money and clothes, but like all idealists, they believed that more needed to be done. The Holtz were also religious people, and they felt that their work was, quote, was the work of God. Um, the Holtz were in Oregon. Uh, they had some resources because uh, Harry Holt um, had built up a lumber uh, and sawmill business and uh, employed uh, quite a few people. Uh, at first, what the, the Holtz did was build an orphanage. Actually, they built the first orphanage for biracial children in Korea. And, and they themselves then adopted eight Korean-born children. But before they did that, 
well, um, I should also tell you they had, uh, at the same time, they had six birth children. So, I mean, the Holtz eventually had 14 children. Um, and, the, and, and they... They believed, they began to believe in the idea of adoption because they believed in the American dream and felt that it was better for a child to grow up in the U.S. compared to a developing country. Say what you will, we can have a debate about that, but they were good-hearted about what they did. And they were unorthodox in how they placed the children because um, all they asked of the adoptive parents was that they have a religious conviction. They accepted couples had been rejected by other adoption agencies. I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit because I need to tell you that before there were any adoptions, you know, in the mid-1950s, there was no American law that allowed for international adoptions, adoptions from one country into the U.S. And the Holtz had to literally get an act of Congress um, passed and as it turned out, that bill only took two months to pass. So because of the Holtz, because of the Holtz, every international adoption that has occurred in the United States is attributable to them and their idealism. Um, and so in October of 55, Harry Holt brought eight children back from Korea. But they could not forget about the other children in Korea. And they went back to Korea to create a system to allow for international adoption. It was extraordinary in its time. And remember, America in the 1950s and early 60s was not a very tolerant or accepting country. And the idea of adopting babies from another country with a skin color different from the adoptive parents crossed all kinds of lines. And in fact, um, I'll share in the B slot a story about that. The Holtz were self-financed. Um, and uh, they relied on Harry's lumber business to get it off the ground. Um, and uh, Harry Holt went, kept going back to Korea to build orphanages. And unfortunately, in 1964, he suffered a massive heart attack and he died in Korea, in the country in which he, as an idealist, was trying to save children. There was some question about whether the Holt agency would continue, but Bertha continued the work. She later on became known as, as Grandma, uh, Grandma Holt. And the work then expanded from Korea to other countries, to Brazil, Colombia, El Salvador. Last year, in 2017, uh, the children were adopted from 13 countries. Um, and they do more work uh, than empower than just simply adoption. They, uh, they empower children in, co in country. They uh, create food programs. They create educational programs. They, they work to make sure that, that the children in those countries don't necessarily have to be adopted out, that those children can, can thrive because they understand what it takes. And since then, they have built up Holt International into a $25 million agency. Now, I, I, yeah, I have some background in the nonprofit world, and while $25 million sounds like a big agency, and it is, it is not that large in the scale of all the things that the Holts have accomplished. So last year, if you, and if you, you, if you're so inclined, and please be inclined, go to the website of Holt International, write them a check, send them some money, Really, please do that. But last year, if you go to the website, you'll see, I mean, they have all of their tax returns. They have all of their annual reports right there on the homepage, on the landing page uh, that you can see. I mean, that is extraordinary for a nonprofit to be so transparent. Last year, 
320 children were adopted internationally. 62% of those kids had a special need. But on top of that, there were another 359 kids who joined adoptive families in the country of their birth. So this is not about just simply taking kids out of a country to fulfill some kind of adoptive need in America. It is really about protecting the children. They're even feeding, Holt International is even feeding kids in North Korea. In North Korea. Idealism knows no boundaries. It knows no geographic lines. It knows no states. It knows no color. It knows no religion. All that idealism knows is that <clears throat> humans need to be helped. The Holtz have created quite a legacy. Um, and Harry and, and uh, Bertha, you just, I, I've just got to tell you, you so incredible. That is absolutely what I call making a difference in the world. Now, I know that I'm probably listening or I'm speaking to some adoptive parents right now. And I may be, listen, I may be speaking to some adoptees. And I just want to tell you this, if you are, and particularly if you're a Holt adoptee, but if, even if you're not, everyone who set up programs um, f to allow for the adoption of children who otherwise would have grown up in, in despair, grown up in orphanages, grown up in families that were so incredibly dysfunctional where the child was so much at risk that the child, child's life literally was at risk. These are all incredibly important things that allow our society to work. And they are born out of the desire to make the world a better place. I mean, can't we think about the fact that investing in a child, that investing in the future of a child, I don't, is, is there anything that's more important than that? Is there anything that transcends wanting to have a child succeed? And sometimes that means taking them out of a country and putting them some other place. When we come back uh, for the B-slot, I'm actually going to talk a little bit. Well, not a little bit. I'm going to talk for the entire B-slot about my role as an adoptive parent. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, go to my website at elliekrug.com. Or email me at le2.0radio at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And yes, you can buy my book, Getting to Ellen. Uh, there you go. When we come back, I'll do my B-slot and talk about what it means to be an adoptive parent of an international child. Thanks. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hi, I'm Damian Strange, Executive Director of Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association, NEMA. And I'm personally inviting you to Arter World, May 18th through the 20th. 
View artwork of over 650 artists in every medium at more than 50 locations throughout Northeast Minneapolis, including studio buildings, art galleries, homes, storefronts, and local businesses. The Artist Open Studio Tour may include demonstrations, mini workshops, installations, and special exhibitions. Studio tours offer a great opportunity to ask questions, discuss techniques, experience art firsthand, and purchase unique artwork directly from artists. Artaworld gives you a unique opportunity to meet the artists who make our community so vibrant and invest in our art community by purchasing artwork that you connect with. For more information, go to nemaa.org. That's nema.org. Looking forward to seeing you at Artaworld. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Mother's Day in the Twin Cities means Mother's Day Buffet at the Park Tavern. On May 13th, treat mom to herb-crusted beef with Bernays sauce, tortellini with champagne cream sauce, grilled salmon with pesto, eggs benedict, breakfast and lunch sides, appetizers, salads, and desserts. Mom even gets a free mimosa and a carnation. Seatings are from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. $21.95 for adults, seniors are $14.95, kids are $10.95 and 5 and under are free, and don't forget the hour of free bowling. On Louisiana Avenue, north of Highway 7 in St. Louis Park, Sunday the 13th, enjoy Mother's Day with the Park Tavern. With spring, it's car wash season. Thank goodness for the Luther Advantage program from Rudy Luther Toyota. Not only do I save 10 cents off per gallon of gas at holiday station stores, but I also get big discounts on car washes. And with free two years of maintenance with every new Toyota purchased, I can get my oil change and spring service done with the best service and maintenance department at Rudy Luther Toyota. Clear your spring checklist with great service from Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169. Ellie 2.0 Radio. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Uh, we're, you're also listening to AM 950. And I spoke in my A slot about Harry and Bertha Holt and what they did for adoption in, in, uh, internationally, um, how they created the model for international adoption. And so I want to turn to how Harry and Bertha Holt actually impacted me and my family directly. They, they allowed me and my ex-wife, Lydia, to, to create a family. Now, I want to make sure that listeners understand that I do not, in any sense, believe that I'm idealistic for adopting. Um, adopting a child, in my case, in the case of my ex-wife, was purely selfish. We wanted a child. We wanted children. But there is a story behind it, of course. Now, um, some may know that I'm from Iowa. I call myself an Iowan, um, but I got there by way of uh, being born in Newark, New Jersey. Yes, I know. My father worked for a company in New York City that eventually sent him to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 
to open an office to do a bunch of business with a main company in Cedar Rapids called Collins Radio. At the time, it's now called Rockwell. Um, my father brought many people with him. So in order for me to tell you about this adoption story, I have to tell you about my childhood. That's where we're going. He brought my father, when he created the office in Cedar Rapids, he brought many people with him. Uh, these were, um, and, and in my family had a tradition of big Sunday dinners. So there would be mass. I was Catholic at the time. Mass in the morning. And then a dinner around three or four. And my parents, they liked to entertain. They liked to bring people to the house for dinner, Sunday dinner. And so, um, unbeknownst to me, I was getting an education about how the way the world works simply by sitting at the Sunday dinner table. And there were all kinds of people that my father brought from New York to staff the office in Cedar Rapids. So he had, I, I think he employed the very first um, white-collar uh, black man in Cedar Rapids. There were um, people who were Jewish. There were people who were Asian. All kinds of folks. And what stuck with me particularly were the number of Asian people. We had um, a, a couple of people whose whose uh, parents had fled uh, communist China uh, and grew up in Hong Kong. And and I got to know them. I was also, I became the babysitter for some of these families. Uh, and um, it, it helped acclimate me to what other people were like. Now, fast forward uh, to I got married. I was uh, living then as a boy, of course. Married my high school sweetheart. We lived in Boston. I graduated from law school in Boston. I practiced there. Um, I learned how to be a trial lawyer. Then I returned to Cedar Rapids to begin our family to set down roots in 1988. So Lydia and I were childless at that point. We came back to Cedar Rapids, attempted, you know, with the intent that we would conceive, that we would then have a, a couple of kids. I'd build, build up a law practice and that we would have this wonderful, happy life um, for the rest of our lives. Of course, that did not turn out, but part of it did for sure. It turned out that we couldn't conceive. We had tests. Um, all kinds of tests and, um, and, and some tears, but we couldn't conceive. Just by serendipity, in Cedar Rapids, we moved into an old house um, in um, this very established neighborhood, a very nice neighborhood. But by serendipity, we moved next door to a family that had several birth children, several children. But then they also had this, at that time, two-year-old, very adorable girl named Angela. And Angela was Korean. I saw this blonde-haired family um, and then this very black-haired little girl out there raking their lawns or doing things that family do, families do in the backyard. And, um, and then Angela very often on the shoulders of Ernie, her father, and, and, you know, this is at the time where we're being, uh, Lydia and I are being unsuccessful in trying to conceive. And so, um, just through happenstance, uh, I asked about Angela and, um, and, and I, I was told that she was adopt an adoptee and that they had adopted her through the Holt agency. The very first time I'd ever heard of Holt, I knew 
that there were such things as international adoptions. And actually, I knew that because when I was in college in Cedar Rapids, I had worked a part-time job. And in that part-time job, I worked with a woman. Her name was Randy. I mean, Randoline, I assume, but her name was Randy. And she had, in the early 1970s, adopted a baby from Korea. She lived in a small town outside of Cedar Rapids. And the reason that I remember her is that she shared with me many stories of how the people in her town were very intolerant of the fact that she had a baby that had a different skin color and was not American. Uh, she shared me with stories of how she was marginalized, how the people would stare at her, how they would say things to her in restaurants. So I had some idea about what it could be like to have an international child in your family. Now, um, so we learned about the whole agency from Ernie and his wife, Sue. And when, uh, it was just so difficult not to smile. I mean, you would see Angela... And you, you're just like, oh, this is what it could be like. And so Lydia and I reached out to Holt. We began the home study process. Um, and you have to understand, I mean, we were very, very desperate to have a child. We had so much love between us. It was overflowing and we needed to have a child to share that love with. And at the same time, I was fighting my gender issues. They were very secret. I told no one about them. And, um, and I hid them. I hid my gender issues from the home study process. I did not bring them up. Did not bring up that I had had some counseling. Um, did not um, allow anyone to know. And so then Holt um, accepted us, but we had to go through training on how to be good adoptive parents. We had to learn about loss and grieving. Um, that was two full weekends in Des Moines. And then, um, in September of 1990, my daughter Kate came home. She was five months old. And I, I vividly remember, we, we picked her up. I know it sounds so corny, but we, we picked her up at the Des Moines airport. They flew her in with a, um, with a host um, of, uh, who picked who picked her up in San Francisco after another host had taken her from um, from Seoul to San Francisco, and I I can just tell you I can pinpoint the moment that my life changed. It was that moment, and it did not matter with her or later on her sister Meredith that they were not our birth child, or that they were white. It did not matter, and in 1992 Meredith came along. Now, she was a special needs child, and we had gotten word from Holt while she was still in Korea that she was not thriving, um, that she'd had a cleft lip and palate. Um, we had to make a decision about whether to accept a child with that kind of need, but we were getting reports that she was losing weight in Korea, and I had actually said to Lydia at some point, she's going to die before she can come home to us in America. And miraculously, I don't know why or how, but Holt put her on a plane. And she came and she, uh, we, we again received her at the Des Moines airport. And I have to tell you, she came off that plane and she looked like she had been, uh, 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 Lydia used to say she looked like a baby from Biafra. You may, our older uh, listeners may remember that there was a horrible um, famine in Biafra. She, Meredith only weighed 10 pounds and she, when she was five months old. Turned out she was lactose intolerant. We got that 
uh, dealt with. We had her, we had her undergo surgery at the University of Iowa, which was only 20 miles away, which it turned out had John Kennedy, a world-renowned surgeon who went all around the world fixing cleft lips and palates. It was all good until I came out as Ellen and I broke some hearts. Eventually, I would lose Kate. I would lose my daughter, my beloved daughter, Kate. I lost her for four years. But then she came back to me. The most incredible gift that I've ever received. And Kate and I are now very close. Meredith, she lived with me. Um, and when I moved to the Twin Cities, she came here and she eventually graduated from Augsburg. Later on, she became a Bernie Sanders campaign worker for over a year, moving from city to city, supporting Bernie. Both girls now are beautiful, strong women who value the world, who value themselves, and, and who understand, I think, some of the privilege that they've gotten by being in America. This is all because the Holtz were brave enough and bold enough to say that we are going to create a program for adoption. We don't care about blood or color in my family. All we care about is love. That's all. And I've got to tell you, there's a lot of love between me and my daughters. I'm so incredibly blessed. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0. A big thanks to my producer, Hunter Hawes. Thank you, Hunter, for everything. When I come back next week, I'll talk about another idealist and um, share another story about my work. Thank you. Thank you.